Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. On this first episode of the 2020 season, we're going to talk about rumors, talk about testing, talk about what we're looking forward to to start this season off, and catch up with Blake Alexander and find out how his new partnership with Jim Head's going and what their plans are for the 2020 season. It's time to finally get things kicked off in the next year of drag racing as the Winter Nationals are a little bit more than a month away here in 2020. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the first episode of the new decade on the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. Woo! We are back here and we are doing it again, baby. 2020 season, NHRA Insider Podcast. Welcome back to the new year that officially begins once we get out to Pomona, California in early February, but uh, for the rest of the world, the calendar year started a few days back. It has been a fun uh, holiday season, hopefully for you. I hope you enjoyed the pre-Christmas show that I did. I did not make a New Year's Eve show. Uh, took that off figure we get back to it this week and I think that's a good thing we're all still waiting with a lot of anticipation for some of the big preseason announcements uh, involving where people will end up what they're going to be driving what classes they'll be in new teams signing deals new teams emerging Um, there's a lot of news that is yet to be broken and we're going to talk a little bit about some of that today Uh, I have Tony Pedregon coming on to talk about uh, things that he has heard in the offseason we're going to talk about the preseason test which has become kind of a mess uh, in 2020 in a way that uh, I don't know if anybody saw coming. So that's going to be something we speak to Tony about. He's kind of got a good inside line on that, as well as some of the other things that have been going on around the inner guts of the sport around there in Brownsburg, Indiana. We also going to have Blake Alexander on as Blake Alexander has teamed up with Jim Head this year, sold his operation back to Tim Wilkerson, has brought the Prino sponsorship and his business acumen as well as driving acumen to Jim Head's team. And they're going to be uh, an interesting thing to watch and follow in 2020. I look forward to catching up with Blake, much like we did at this time last year. Blake was one of the first guys I had on the podcast ever. We made our first preseason episode, and he talked about the move that he made to go out on his own. We're going to talk about the move he's making to uh, strengthen himself, strengthen Jim Head's operation with uh, his presence. So that's going to be something pretty fun as well. What's been going on in motorsports? What's been going on in drag racing? In short, not a whole heck of a lot. Um, There's been, you know, some bracket races. Some tracks around the country run a New Year's Day um, event. The, the Hangover Nationals, most of them are called. Dragway 42 in Ohio does one, amongst other places. And the cool thing about those events, no matter what the weather is, rain, shine, snow, sleet, you know, frogs, flying monkeys, whatever it is, they hold these events, and it's a, it's a bracket race where everybody dials in 20.2 seconds, 2020. Last year it was 2019. This year it's 2020. It'll continue to get slower until the end of time. But uh, those events drew, drew very strong around the country. Hundreds of cars at the few tracks that uh, that hold those hangover national-style races. And there were some big money bracket races. Bo Butner went down to uh, Palm Beach International Raceway, went bracket racing. For the first time in his life, Bo went traditional bracket racing at a big money bracket race. Something that kind of blew my mind. I figured Bo was a guy who'd done a lot of that stuff, and he hadn't. He's always been a class-style racer. He's run, you know, a bunch of different categories, stock, super stock, uh, obviously super gas now. He's won in, what, five or six different sportsman categories, but he'd never just gone and gone bracket racing. They finished the thing at like 3 o'clock in the morning. He said it's the first time he's been up that late racing. He made it down to a very small, I think, single-digit number of cars. So he had himself a great weekend, probably a profitable one, as there was a fair amount of money on the line down there in Florida as well. So there is still racing going on in pockets of the country. 
Um, the big stuff gets kicked off in a few weeks, obviously, with preseason testing for NHRA uh, happening the last week in January leading into that first week in February when the Winter Nationals will be contested. My first race of the season, a race that um, I don't disrespectfully call it a tune-up. I call it a tune-up for myself because it gets me off the blocks, gets my uh, gets my chops back underneath me is going to be the U.S. Street Nationals, which happen at Bradenton Motorsports Park in Florida. And that event goes on from the 24th to the 27th of January down in Florida. It is a drag radio race. It's a pro mod race. It has uh, X275, Pro 275, a lot of the small tire, eighth mile style drag racing going on down there. And there will also be a ton, not at this event per se, but before and after, there's a ton of pro stock testing going on at Bradenton as we speak. And as I make this, there are multiple teams down there, some with new drivers making runs. We're going to concentrate on pro stock on the next NHRA Insider podcast. We'll get you up to speed on all the news and kind of insider scuttlebutt that's been happening with the pro stock category safe to say uh it is positive it is uh, like we can talk about in pretty much every nhra category coming into 2020 it is the positive type of rumors that we hear floating around so let's talk a little bit about uh what we can expect what i think we will see to start off in 2020 it appears to me that the number of teams that are going testing is higher than last year. Uh, most of the Don Schumacher racing teams didn't turn a wheel in testing. Uh, many of the smaller teams didn't turn a wheel in testing. That seems to be changing. And um, I think that's a good thing. I think it speaks to probably budget. Um, I think it speaks to the level of competition, the will to succeed, and the idea that you're going to be behind the eight ball coming into Pomona if you don't get test runs. At the PRI show, I had a chance to sit down with Leah, and Leah told an interesting story where they didn't test last year. They had a new chassis design they were using, and they were testing this chassis design through the first couple races. That's the only opportunity they had, and they finally just had to ditch this thing, go back to Old Faithful, and that's where we saw that car kind of turn a corner, get a little bit more uh, consistent. So that preseason test is a, a very valuable thing, and as much as we talk about drag racing being a very short duration motorsport, uh, it is high on strategy. And what we see is whether we're talking about uh, a single race or a season, if you lose time, if you fall behind, if you lose a qualifying session at an important race, if you're trying to chase your way through qualifying, you typically don't have a great weekend. If you are a team that is trying to chase their way through the first four or five races, trying to get their car sorted out, you're going to have a very difficult year. Uh, the competition level is at an all-time high. And, and, you know, it gets said all the time, like, oh, this, that, it is the best competition ever. Prove me wrong. Look at what happened last year in all the pro categories. Look at what it came down to. Yes, we saw dominance. We saw Steve Torrance go on just a rip-roaring King Kong-level tear through the through the center of the season. Uh, just domination in all, in all its uh, glorious forms. But then we also saw the drama at the end of the season. We saw Doug Coletta come within three points, yada, yada. You all know the story. So the test sessions do have a lot of value. Uh, it is not simply going out there and shaking everybody's hand and kind of getting yourself, um, you know, getting yourself glad handing and having a couple of nice dinners with your team. It is about getting yourself to start to get that battle hardened mentality that you need. And as we all know, the schedule in 2019, once we get to the summer, is grueling. We go three in a row, Topeka, Bristol, Norwalk through June, week off. We go four in a row, Chicago, Denver, Sonoma, Seattle, two weeks off. 
Then we go to Brainerd Nepping back to back. Then we go to Indy. So if you don't have your act together by June, you are in serious trouble. And that may sound a long way off from February, but like we talked about last year, when the teams that get off to that slow first three or four races start giving us the old, it's a long season, we have time, June's going to show up and you don't have time anymore. So January, you know, the test session is important. February is important. We get Pomona and Phoenix. We have our single race in March in Gainesville, of course. And then April's a three-race month. May's a two-race month. And then look up below when we get to June. So, um, you know, the overriding themes of this show today are going to be about kind of setting up 2020, talking about this off-season test session that's gotten way more interesting probably than it needed to be. And then we're going to talk to Blake Alexander about his partnership with Jim Head and what he sees coming in the 2020 season. So without further ado... Let's get ourselves rolling in the right direction here and roll in with guest number one. This guy's hitting the leadoff for the whole year. Tony Pedragon, what's going on, man? Brian, how you doing? Happy New Year. You probably didn't want to hear it all year that I wasn't one of your first guests, right? <laughs> that's that's kind of a long year. It's a preemptive strike. <laughs> this is a preemptive strike. I wanted to head all that off at the uh <laughs> head all that off at the past. How are your holidays, man? I know you you guys uh actually spent some time down south, right? Yeah, holidays were good. Uh, you know, of course my thirteen year old Desi, he was uh he was he was really hounding me about the Daytona Cart Week, and I caved in. I was hoping to get out of the <laughs> indie weather, and it was uh, 60 degrees when we left, and it rained in Daytona. But you know the cool thing about karting is when it rains, they put they put rain tires on. So it was a great experience. You know he's still he's still competing against racers that have been doing it for six seven years, even though they're just 13 14 years old. But uh, but it was a good time. I hauled the two boys. We drove 14 hours, cooped up with me, and uh, they're. they're they're taking a well-needed break <laughs> that's awesome old school racing man hop in the pickup truck and drive all night to get there it's good stuff yeah it's great so um you know obviously the theme of this episode we're talking about 2020 kind of some things that uh are forming up some things that may form up some stuff that may not have been announced yet but one of the things i want to talk to you about to start with is is even in the preseason test things are getting kind of interesting because you know typically we've seen that test happen in phoenix and then for God knows what reason, there was something going on with Phoenix and it was announced that the protest is going to be in Vegas. But now I understand that like half the guys are going to Phoenix. What What is going on with the preseason test session? Well, the good news is we're going testing soon. Um, you know, and to me, it's because it's split. That's a problem. If I'm a team owner, um, I want to go to Phoenix. And, and there are several reasons why, because the elevation is a thousand feet versus higher elevation in Vegas. And right now the extended forecast in Phoenix, you're looking at lows in the 40s and highs in the mid 60s. Vegas, 30s, highs in the in the low 50s, and that can change. But typically, this time of year, the weather is going to be a problem. So now, if you're stuck going to Vegas, which is headed up by Pro, and Pro is just a group of racers, owners, uh, drivers, um, and if I'm not mistaken, Alan Johnson, Chad Head, and Robert Hyde are on the board. And if you ask me, that's a bad negotiation. You've got to you've got to look at pro and what they negotiated because if I'm a team owner and I I'm forced into going to Vegas, I have to deal with those conditions. So what happens is you're not going to learn much other than starting your car and you know nozzling it. But there's nothing that you're going to do at that Vegas facility that you're going to apply to the first few races that you're going to compete at. Phoenix, on the other hand, you know it's it's a little more. It's going to be more like the Pomona conditions, you're going to be there at the second race of the year. Um, so that's a little 
it's a, a bad negotiation if you ask me. So I don't know where it happened or what happened, but you and I spoke and they reground the uh, the Phoenix facility. Yeah. They're flying rubber as we speak. They have the track machine just like Denver and um, it should be good. So we're going to see a lot of like the DSR cars. Um, if Mike Salinas uh, tests, he will more than likely be in Vegas. You're going to see teams like Cruz and Tasca and the Torrances and and Clay and Scott Palmer, even Blake Alexander that are going to be at Phoenix. So regardless of where it happens, we're going to be watching both cities. Yeah, and I guess the other the other kind of even maybe a little smaller wrinkle in this is my understanding is uh, the pro stock teams, which typically take part in these tests at the tail end of them, most of them have defected to Florida. So even <laughs> so, you're going to have most of the pro stock teams in Orlando or Bradenton. You're going to have some semblance of the teams. And I would, I, I mean, I'm wondering, you know, to some degree, does this turn into a loyalty test for pro? I mean, and and I ask that because the guys that are going to Phoenix are obviously kind of thumbing their nose at the organization, the pro organization a little bit. So does it become the situation where guys are trying to kind of just toe the line and say, okay, well, this is what everybody felt like we should do. So we should do it. Well, I, I agree with you. Um, I, I think that there's, you know, I think pro is probably looking at the teams, maybe with the exception of Cruz, because Cruz doesn't really, you know, doesn't care to be a part of that organization because of the way it's structured. I mean, when you look at a manufacturer that's on the board um, and hey, Chad Head, no disrespect, he, he manages the Coletta team. He's been doing this for a long time. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, Robert Height, a very accomplished driver, and he's a representative to a lot of crew chiefs. So he's just delivering, you, you know, the the information. Uh, but there's no owner. There's really no owner that's on the board. It's made up of owners, and and they all contribute to that process. But you know, logistically, Phoenix makes better sense. Competitively, it makes better sense. So, you know, again, if I'm a team owner, I'm going to where it's going to make better sense for me. So there might be a little, you know, a few people that are that are uh, picked off that are head up the pro organization but um i wouldn't be surprised if we see more defecting because you know if you really think about it uh, on several levels you know phoenix is just the better choice so um i think by the time you get to pomona and fire off a few engines all that'll go to the wayside but for those teams that are able to accumulate and gather more data and go down the racetrack um they're going to have a competitive edge and you know we talked about the elevation in vegas and the cold climate it, it um it's real conducive to, you know, the car shaking the tires and what you have to do to a funny car and a top fuel car is manipulate the timing. You change a fuel system. You do all sorts of things to the clutch to get it to go down an extremely cold racetrack in cold conditions like that. So, again, not a lot of that you're going to be applying to qualifying at the first race of the year, which is the Winter Nationals. Yeah, and I guess along those lines, obviously uh, one of the big stories in Funny Car this year is Alexis DeJoria uh, making her comeback, Del Worsham and Nikki Bonifani in charge of tuning that car. Um, and if you're, you know, she made some runs up in Bakersfield, kind of got her feet wet again and kind of got reacclimated to the car. But it would seem to me anyway, if you're bringing a driver back into the fold, um, someone that needs to have a good test session to come in with some confidence to get off the, the blocks the right way, it would seem like they're, and I don't know this for a fact, but in my own mind, it would seem like they would be way more apt to go to Phoenix than they would be to go to Las Vegas. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I would agree with you. And I know they've been doing some testing, um, I believe, at, at Bakersfield. Um, you know, so they've already began their work, um, you know, and there's two major components to Alexis coming back. There's the car and the driver, you know, and of course the driver, although she has had some seat time 
testing. There's certain things you don't forget, but you, you come to the seat into competition with a little bit of rust, not a lot. I mean, that's all dependent on how much she has prepared herself and how much she has trained and mentally conditioned herself. Uh, but as far as the car goes, this is a very accomplished team. You know, it's not just Del Warsham, it's Nikki Bonifani. I know that they did bring some of the core crew members. Yeah, Matt Bynum, you know, some of, like you said, the, the real kind of uh, foundational guys came with them, it, sort of, it seems like. Yeah, so that means that team is going to be up and running. They're going to give Alexis a good car. And the question is, is, you know, how much will she be affected by the time off? And and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but I, I mean, it's great to have them back. And, you know, I see that that car will be, in terms of performance, as good and as consistent as it was towards the end of the year. And Sean Langdon, we saw this guy mixing it up, and it's too bad that he's out of the seat now and back in a top fuel car because I think that would have been one of the car, one of the teams uh, that would have been kind of floating around in the in the mid pack in the top five in Funny Car. Yeah, they really uh, 100% got got their program together through uh, through 2019. Won the four wide in Charlotte, and then won the uh, the countdown race in St. Louis. And like you said, they were they were certainly starting to show their teeth a little bit. Um, continuing on the Funny Car path. I, I'm fascinated by the Jim Head Blake Alexander pair up, and I mean that in a good way. I'm not fascinated because I think it's going to fail. I'm fascinated because I think you have, you know, when you had Jim Head and Johnny Lindbergh together, that was also an interesting pairing to me, but mainly because they were two, like, of the hardest core racer guys that you're ever going to meet. And I'm not taking anything away from Blake Alexander to say that, but. I think what what Jim Head gets in the form of Blake Alexander, he gets us obviously a serviceable driver, a guy that's won national events in Top Fuel, but he also gets the business side of Blake Alexander. And you know, I think Blake will be the first one to tell you, and, and I'm going to talk to him later on the show that that's the side of this thing that that actually gives him uh, a lot of pleasure is chasing down money. I know for a fact that he got them an oil sponsorship and has done some other things to help out the operation. So, uh, what is your take on on Blake and Jim Head getting together? Well, I see a top 10 contender right there. Um, and, and when you look at the performance, uh, maybe not at the last race or two, but prior to that, these car, this car ran, they, they, they ran, there's a string of sub four second runs, something that Jim Head really hasn't done in a long time. Yeah. And I was real surprised that they weren't able to keep that momentum up. But, you know, I think the, the, the new position that Blake's going to be in, it's going to take a lot of pressure away from him. When you own your own car, and and you have someone that's tuning it that you don't have the most confidence in you tend to change your driving style and and you tend to not be as aggressive as you would really like to be by nature um i, I think that's going to really free things up for blake i think it's going to make him uh, perform better in the car get him back to where all he has to do is focus on getting off the line feeling what the car does and you know, and, and leave the rest up to Jim. I think he's going to look at Jim Head's record and, and not just his performance record. You know, there's a lot of things they have to approve with that team and consistency is the biggest. But, you know, that car really doesn't blow up a lot. Right. You know, and, and, and it has a lot of safety features that a lot of cars don't. So so Blake's going to get in that car and he's got to have a, a high level of confidence doing that. Yeah, I think that, you know, obviously no longer, you know, being the team owner role that Blake was in. I think the other thing he gets too is he gets a crew that's been working together for 100 years, which he didn't have. You know, the guys that he had working on his car, mo most of them had experience, but, you know, they were rent, they ran infrequently. Um, they were they were kind of flying guys and and it wasn't really that dedicated core group that you need which Jim has and to your point 
you know, one of the things that was mystifying to me last year about Blake's season is how many times did we see that car and at races not start? I mean, I mean, we saw that happen. I don't, I want to say a half a dozen times over the course because it would, some weekends it would happen in Q1, some weekends it would happen in Q3, other weekends the thing wouldn't go down the racetrack at all in, in E1 or whatever. So um, outside of the financial burden of blowing stuff up and breaking stuff and having to pay bills, I think he gets a big peace of mind in terms of who's working on the thing. Well, I can tell you this. One of the times that it didn't start, um, I was told that it may have gotten flooded and I can. I'm here to tell you that you're not going to flood a nitro plenty car. Okay, you can you can shoot the wrong stuff if you don't use a cheap gas. It's going to be more difficult for the for for the fuel to ignite. Um, but but that wasn't the case. So and what you're really talking about is inexperience. And it you know Tim Wilkerson was overseeing that. It was for the most part his tune-up. But it was his son Dan. And hey Dan, yeah. I think there's a lot of potential there. But you know the inexperience showed, and I, I bet that was very frustrating for Blake. Uh, because you have sponsors, you know, and, and yeah. you're taking off this burden of of owning the team. And anytime something happens, you know, you, it, you feel it in the pocketbook. So there was a lot of things that were on Blake's shoulders that he will no longer have. And, you know, the only question is now Jim Head, I mean, he's always had the best equipment on that car, but now he's got a little money. He's got a little more room, some things to play with. Yeah. And, and the question is, is he's kind of a go for everything, go for the throat kind of guy. If he can pull it back and and uh, and utilize the, the discipline that he has and that he already exhibited a few races ago, um, that car could be dangerous. So along those same lines as well, you know, you mentioned Tim Wilkerson. So, you know, Blake purchased his operation from Tim Wilkerson. Blake sold his operation back to Tim Wilkerson. We had Tim on the stage at the PRI show, and um, he told us kind of candidly that he is planning on running that car and, and running it with some frequency now. I have not heard who's going to be driving it. I would assume his son, Daniel, that we mentioned, would make some some runs in it. I would assume that maybe Chad Green, the Pro Mod racer who is licensed in the car, and his friends with Tim would be part of that as well. Uh, what do you have to say about that, uh, potential of that? Well, I say whoever gets in that car, if it's Chad Green, hang on. This car is going to be much more stable than a Pro Mod car because <laughs> of the aerodynamics. You yeah. know, you look at the car's planted, and I wish it were more difficult to drive i think that would separate the better drivers from some that you know that aren't as good and and uh i think it would also remind drivers don't keep your foot in it and and right now they are able to because the car is just so much downforce and i hear the same argument in indycar that the cars the dynamics of them are easier to drive because those cars are just glued to the racetrack and then when they let go when they when they you know strike the tires and when they move out of the groove then it's you've gone past the point of no return but hey it is what it is i think it's going to be a good car wherever it shows up because tim wilkerson does understand how to get these cars down the racetrack and get them there in a short amount of time so it's a good car it's good equipment it's proven and uh i think pretty much whether it was blake or um i think before that um I can't remember the, the, the team owner's name, and he might have bought that back. Tim Brian, Brian Stewart. Yeah, it was Brian Stewart. Brian Stewart. Brian yeah. Stewart. That was a good car, and there was a couple of runs that, you know, I, I think his inexperience showed he couldn't get the car to the finish line because that thing hikes the front end up. One thing about Tim Wilkerson's car is when he throws that clutch at it, however he does, um, it hikes the front end up. He's able to maneuver it and handle it, but some of these younger drivers that don't have quite the experience, not that Brian Stewart was younger, but 
just lacked experience in those cars, they, they will remind you once in a while that they are animals to drive. <laughs> uh, you alluded to something earlier that hasn't officially been announced yet, but it's kind of like the big open secret in NHRA that Sean Langdon's going to be coming back to top fuel after a couple of seasons in Nitro Funny Car. And what I'm most interested in seeing, because you know, one of the things that fascinates me about Sean, he, he does have a depth of how he approaches driving these cars and how he kind of approaches each individual round and who he's going to be racing and what he's going to be doing. Do you think Sean will will bring back some of the um, you know Wild West staging techniques of the funny car category in Top Fuel? Because we really we don't see any of that stuff happening in Top Fuel that we see in Nitro Funny Car. And now that he has gone and lived through it and experienced it and absorbed it for two years, um, one, do you think he's going to bring it back with him? And two, how effective would it be if he tried to employ it? Well, I'd love to see more of it. I, I don't think it'll happen because Sean was one of the drivers that. Um, you know, hey, he's he's a crew chief's driver because he he just doesn't deep stage. Which for a crew chief, that that gives the crew chief all of the credit because you're not you're not taking away any performance from what he does as a tuner. So when he goes to the car owner, he says, "Look, if this is the time slip, this is all me right here." Um, and and where the ego factors into that is when you have a, a higher driver and you have a crew chief. Well, the crew chief is looking at a time slip that's maybe one or two or three hundred slower. And the crew chief's thinking, man, I, I set this car up to run, run quicker, but the driver's thinking, man, I just won that race though. You know, <laughs> right. so, so like that's the, that's the classic. See, t- crew, uh, team owners don't have to worry about that. There, so there are certain drivers in funny car, that's just how they play the game. But when you look at the physics of a funny car, it's a couple hundred pounds heavier because of the body. It's a shorter wheelbase. It doesn't react or respond as good. So funny car drivers just there, there's no etiquette they they play dirty they pull hair they'll they'll uh you know poke your eye out and top fuel you know th- there's just there's this common courtesy maybe not with cameron foray and steve torrance but <laughs> yeah not anymore anyway but but it just seems I, I mean i wish we could see more of it and and you know let me comment on that real quick when you go back to the steve torrance cameron foray thing what would it have been like had Brittany done that to steve and and actually won the round and changed changed the whole dynamic of the championship. But here's my point, and, and this is this is why when that happened, I, I wasn't by any stretch siding with Steve Torrance, but I was trying to give the perspective that only a driver can give you. Um, no disrespect to Alan Reinhardt, but I've been in the seat, right. I've been in the championship battles. I personally don't do that to another driver. I'm not going to heat their clutch up. I'm not going to. To, to play that way and run their car light on fuel. I've had it done to me, unless you're a driver that has been in that battle, uh, the psychological part of it, you don't understand. Hey, whatever was said to provoke that, uh, it is what it is. We didn't catch the audio. Um, hey, cheap shots are, are not good. Um, people will be watching because of it. So, hey, don't, don't try to get the guy thrown out because he's the only one that's given us a little bit of action. I wish Cameron Foray knew some judo. That would have been cool to see. Maybe he's been working out with Tito Ortiz, but but I'm just talking about the event that happened on the starting line. If you're in the seat, you feel differently than somebody just watching that's never been in those situations. So I, for one, was a, a good sportsman. I, I never played that way. I had it done a lot to me. And I've had this argument with Cruz. Cruz feels differently. A driver is entitled to deep stage, take however long he wants, up to those seven seconds till he's counted out and, and fouled out. But so it's fair game. 
it's fair game. I just disagree with it. I just never raced that way. So I understand what Steve Torrance felt like. And uh, I, I'm going to side with him before the car got to the finish line. After, well, you know where I stand. <laughs> um, you know, what are you hearing on the mean streets of uh, Brownsburg, Indiana these days as far as any, <laughs> any, any rumors that may be bubbling up yet or things that maybe we expected to happen that aren't happening? Is there anything going on there with, uh, you know, the fateful toolbox shuffle or is it still too early for some of this stuff to materialize? <laughs> Well, there's no Matrix uh, events here. There's no drama <laughs> like we saw at Pomona. But, you know, the, the biggest, uh, maybe worst-kept secret is Antron Brown, you know, re, uh, reuniting with Brian Karate. Um, we hear that that's going to happen. Um, you know, respectfully, they'll announce that when they're good and dang ready to and under their terms. Uh, but but we just I just repeat what I hear, and there's a good chance that Antron Brown appears to be in, in a position to start winning races again. And, um, you know, if you think about when they were together last, I mean, they weren't, they weren't, you know, setting things on fire. I mean, actually they might've been with the engine, but you know, they, they weren't, they weren't knocking down the winds. Right. But, but I do see, I mean, they have chemistry and we know that Brian Karate knows how to get a race car down the track and be very aggressive and be smart in managing the power. Um, and, and so really, when we size up the top fuel field, it's still going to be Steve Torrance. Good luck beating him uh, and his dad and Brittany Force. I think they're going to be better than they were last year. Uh, I see Austin Proc uh, being better. I think Mike Green has done a good job with, with making the transition from running a different combination at Schumacher's to going into forces and not just different parts and pieces because they're just parts and pieces. It's what you tell those parts and pieces to do and how you – uh, you know, feed it fuel and feed it clutch at the right places in the right times. But I think Antron's a wild card. I think I think that team right there will probably be one of the big challengers for uh, the Torrances. In your opinion, does Mark Oswald stay with that team? Well, I think if if you can retain him in a certain capacity, I think um, I think he's a good guy to have because you know that's he's part of that core team, or at least when when brian karate was there so um i'm sure financially if they can he would be one of the first guys to stay because not only does he uh is he accomplished tuner uh but but i think that he's he's very he's a very good people person so not only is he going to supervise if you do have some new people coming in trying to learn that you know that program whether it's someone doing the clutch or superchargers all those things have become very vital parts of the success of a race car and uh if one thing's off then well you don't win you don't get down the track so um i would say i would say 60 40 that uh it would be smart to keep oswald there yeah that um that seems to make sense with me i mean obviously the guy's very accomplished and and you know the car didn't perform anywhere near the way they wanted it this year but it wasn't a car that was destroying itself it wasn't a car that was doing things that were destructive it just wasn't performing and it was smoking the tires so um yeah it'd be neat to see them put the band kind of all the way back together again i guess one last topic before i let you go um we're gonna see uh, a bunch of new uh or new-ish anyway some some of them kind of re-emerging um top fuel teams on limited schedules this year whether we're talking about doug foley Justin Ashley, um, Artie Allen from down in Florida. There's a there's a, a group of these guys, probably six or eight when we get down to brass tacks, Lee Calloway and others coming out. And my 
understanding, at least when you look at all these guys, they all have decent parts, and they all seem to have at least some sort of faint alignment with somebody to help them tune these cars. So uh, when it comes down to it, uh, do you think any of these small teams that we're going to be seeing maybe 8, 10, sometimes 12, 16 times a year will have any sort of a factor in deciding a championship or deciding who's in the who's in the countdown? Sure, I, I think so. Uh, you know, there's Pat Dakin. I hope Strutmaster ends up on every car out here because they've they've helped Lex June and and I'll start with him. You know that that car, whoever's been helping them, you know, set it up and and who's is assisted with the fuel system, their clutch application, and even some parts. You know, they they didn't qualify the last few races they competed in, but you look at the incremental numbers, and if that car can get beyond seven six seven hundred feet, it's going to run a, a low three eighty. Yeah. You know, and that's a that's a range that we're seeing a lot of those cars that are getting some of that help uh, run in. And, and it used to be that they couldn't, you know, barely crack the four second barrier. So um, I think that that we've seen a trend in our sport that has been good because th- even the, 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 the higher funded teams, they understand that it's in the best interest of the sport to a see more cars, uh, better quality cars and. You know, because of some of that assistance, uh, even with you know Chris Carmasina's, I, you know, they 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 have a better chance of getting down the track. So I think that's a good thing. And when you look at the bigger teams that help some of those smaller teams, it's Don Schumacher, it's Steve Torrance, yeah, and it's the Paletta team. You know, those are the ones that I can tell you right now have helped several teams improve their performance on the track. And and uh, I'm sure it's the teams that. They're not the only ones that appreciate it. We appreciate it as well because we have a better show because of that. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. It's going to be fun to see some uh, some new names out there and some people capable of uh, upsetting the familiar faces. So, Well, cool, man. Thanks for this uh, intro into 2020. I'm looking forward to the next couple of weeks to see how the news breaks and shapes up and who's going to be announcing what because uh, it's, it's bound to come open like a dam break pretty soon here because you know you hear all, you hear all this stuff and it's got to be it's got to be announced at some point so who knows when the time will be right for that but uh, it's going to be good Tony thank you very much and um, I know that both of us we had talked yesterday about if we we're going to go to testing or not I'm not sure I'm going to go especially if it's split into two locations but I guess we'll deal with that when we get a little bit closer to it I'm just going to get to Pomona like a week early just so we can gear up to that uh, that big winter nationals but hey Brian I'm going to close with this I'm going to share one of my Christmas presents from my kids you ready okay I want it Hey, Google, you ready to go drag racing? Sorry, I can't help with that yet. (laughs) Oh, for crying out loud. Hey, Google, are you ready to go drag racing? As ready as I can be. Okay, cut out the first one, Brian. That's what I'm leaving with. I love it, man. Talk to you soon, Tony. Bye-bye. See you. Bye. (laughs) So, Tony Pedragon, have a little trouble with Siri or Alexa or some other automated bodiless voice there at the end of the at the end of the interview i'm sure he'll get that sorted out by the time we get to pomona a guy who we won't see at pomona but we will see frequently through the season they're going to run 20 races this year is blake alexander who has teamed up with jim head for the 2020 season i'm interested to hear the background of this story and certainly interested to hear where uh, blake's head's at after a very interesting 2019 so i'd like to welcome our second guest on to the insider podcast ladies and gentlemen mr blake alexander how you doing man 
Good, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming on. It's been uh, it's been an interesting off season for you, and um, I think it's one of the great stories kind of coming into the 2020 season. I think uh, you and Jim Head getting together uh, makes a lot of sense, and I want to talk to you about kind of how everything formed up. I have to tell you that in the earlier portion of the show, I had Tony Pedragon on, and he said that uh, he considers you guys kind of coming out of the gate as a potential top 10 team, and I want to know your thoughts on that and, and I guess the genesis of how this whole thing came together. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say it's like a full-on goal to go for the top 10. We're going to miss a couple events here and there, and any time you get behind by 40, 60 points, you know, uh, these teams are so good in top deal funny car, the full-time ones and the part-time ones that you uh, aren't really, you know, at an advantage from that point on. But definitely looking forward to going testing in a couple weeks, and uh, I'm glad everything has kind of been coming together in a nice, smooth manner. Yeah, and so let's let's talk about when the when did the first conversation happen about about this becoming a reality? Uh, really, right after I drove Jim's car in June at Bristol, we spoke. I was about to leave, and he spoke to me briefly, just saying, "Hey, let's talk later this year." And to be honest with you, I thought you know I was already down the path on something that was like a five year plan, and uh, then. September came around or October, I think it was late September. And I thought it would be disrespectful not to even get back in touch with him. So I uh, did and uh, kind of everything came together really quickly. And uh, I just realized that the opportunity (laughs) exists here with him. And if I uh, didn't take it, you know, it would be something that I would probably regret. And, uh, you know, I had a great time last year racing with everyone doing some stuff on my own, but the more resources I can pile together, uh, the better it is for myself, Pronto, you know, and, and Jim and his guys. And we've been hitting the ground running ever since Pomona ended, basically. Actually, the night of Pomona, I was loading stuff up in his trailer and <laughs> stuff like that. So we've been, uh, we've been working since then. You said you, you know, you said it's something you probably would have thought you would have regretted missing the chance. And if you can go into that a little bit, what are the things, what are the things you see as opportunities here that that would have haunted you, if not haunted you, at least would have made you kind of second guess your decision if you didn't go down this road? Oh, uh, I mean, I've never made a test run really before, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, uh, I just haven't had some of the luxuries, I guess, that some of these other guys I compete against have, and I'm not saying I'd be fine racing the rest of my life without them, but I wanted to try to, you know, have uh, more full-time people. Some of my full-time guys work for us now, and um, but he obviously already had a lot of infrastructure in place yeah. and uh, just generally helps everything flow a little bit better from the perspective of he already has all this in motion already, and I can just come in and help support and I am doing some some aspects of parts procurement and helping Mark Denner at the shop and everything like that. So I'm still having a lot of fun and everything I learned last year is still applicable and helpful to what we're doing this year. Um, And, you know, maybe down the road, I revisit owning a team or this. I I hope right now, though, this just is something that I can do for a long time and enjoy with Jim. Yeah. And I want to I guess what were the things that, uh, you know, that weekend you drove from in Bristol? What were the things that that kind of clicked between the two of you that would lead him to even have the conversation with you? Because obviously, you know, Jim's not the kind of guy who's going to say something just to make you feel good. Right. He's going to he's going to he's going to broach a topic like this if he if he senses that it's going to be good for for him and you. So I guess from from your short time together there in Bristol, what were the things that went that went correctly between the two of you? Uh, just there was synergy between us uh, from a 
driver and crew chief perspective and uh we got along i mean more importantly i got along with all the guys on the race team and uh not that i've really ever had any problems with sure. that with other teams it's just it was nice and uh nice calm weekend and we didn't really set the world on fire we lost in the first round but kind of saw some potential and saw some opportunity where, you know, we could hit some more events and run the car a little harder if we work together. And, you know, I'm obviously bringing, I've never not brought funding to right. my pro drag racing career. So it's a, uh, it's a pooling together of resources. And uh, like I said, we're still going to have a lot of fun doing it and kind of do it in a relaxed manner and just try to, to pick away at it and do our best. I mean, everyone knows that when he pulls up, he's trying to run as fast as he possibly can. <laughs> That's and, a fact. <laughs> I certainly enjoyed his passion, you know, for, I just have never really seen anyone as passionate about it. And I think he's pretty much been doing it longer than anyone other than maybe Connie. Right. So, uh, he's, he's been doing it for a while and I appreciate, you know, the engineering perspective he takes on everything as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, there, there's uh, an endearing quality about the guy of his intensity, but also, you know, one of the things I love about the guy and, and, and from a visual perspective and, you know, television being a visual medium is, you know, when he starts throwing those right hooks in the air as the car is going down the racetrack, especially after it goes a couple of rounds, it's a, it's a neat thing. And I know there's a lot of us, me included, that are waiting to see, you know, what happens finally when a, when a, when a wind light comes on for his car in the final round again, uh, it's been a while obviously, but it's, but the pieces are all there. I mean, the car has been in a lot of finals over the last couple of seasons and I'm sure, uh, I'm sure that'll be a big moment you know, when it, when it comes to fruition, wherever that may be, um, on the opposite end of the emotional spectrum, I want to talk about some of the stuff you went through in the 2018 season. And, you know, it was ups and downs, obviously, you know, if we want to, want to kind of take a seminal moment, let's go back to Norwalk. It was the first time you've ever really had to deal with uh, a full on, you know, funny car nuclear explosion. And I'm wondering after the moment subsides, the actual, you know, catastrophic moment of the car exploding, you getting it off the racetrack from the team owner perspective, when did the wheels kind of start to turn in terms of like the actual costs of what has just happened? Um, I mean, <laughs> I guess I, you just, I kept getting bills for it for a long time. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'd be like showing up to <laughs> Dallas four months later and someone would be like, Oh yeah, here's this from that explosion. So it was, I mean, it wasn't like a huge, huge deal. If you don't replace, I had three bodies, so yeah. I didn't replace one. I kind of yeah. like didn't, didn't have the money to do that right away, but it still costs, you know, every bit of what everyone says in the $70,000 range, replacing everything to get it back up to snuff. And more importantly, it's just a lot of work. That's right. also the depressing part about it when it happens is if you don't have, I don't have 11 guys working on my car. Like I had two full-time people basically working on it last year yeah. and it took every bit of blood, sweat and tears, you know, of them working, you know, at in the shop and the machine shop and getting everything back together. And then we ended up going to Sonoma and, won the first round the next time we were out against caps and it was kind of cool from that perspective that we could kind of rebound and it took a lot of effort to rebound and anyone who i don't know I've, I've been doing this for a while and i thought i'd just dive into uh to doing it and figure out what it was like and it was eye-opening to say the very least even with the best tutelage from to a guy like yeah. i have so much respect for tim wilkerson dan and i still talk i mean pretty much every day um, you know, so it was just like, <laughs> it was very eye opening. Yeah. I mean, it, was it ever a situation, was it a situation of just constant pressure or was it ever a situation of being, you know, to a point of being overwhelmed or was it a situation of at times, both of those things? 
Uh, I mean, it just kind of changed my lifestyle, to be honest with you as well. The pressure was obviously <laughs> there, yeah. and it, it affects the way you drive when you're sitting in the car. And I got in Jim's car, and I drove it, and I had like five straight 60 lights or yeah. better or something like that. And he was obviously enjoyed that, and I enjoyed it as well. And I realized that I wasn't thinking about a bunch of the stuff that I was thinking about, and I wanted to make sure that I was, you know, the best driver I possibly could be for the people at Pronto that are there supporting me each weekend in all the different markets. I have so many great families that have kind of latched on to supporting me and uh, their businesses are you're heavily involved in the support of it. And I want to give them the best return I can, which is, you know, me doing the best job driving and not thinking about how much it's going to cost if the cars, you know, blowing up. I did get used to it being on fire for a little bit. I think in <laughs> Dallas, I just stayed in the car one time while I was on fire. And I you, was just, like, you just stayed in there. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. would you, you know, would you say it's the most valuable thing you've ever done for yourself in drag racing to own the team for that year? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I mean, yeah. it was the most fun I ever had. It was so cool just because you'd go to start up a fuel car and there's a bunch of 30 year old kids to 25 to 30 year old kids looking at you and you're like i don't know how the hell i got in this position but um once we started you know pulled the wires off and started it it pretty much felt normal and the car ran good at times we really did do well and we're making progress it's just um you know right now at this point in time this is really the best decision for my wife and i which is all that you know that matters as well obviously i speak of sponsorship and opportunities in drag racing but this is something that uh, you know would be best for her and I. Yeah, and and that's a and that's a partnership that you've had since you were kids. I mean, you guys have been together forever, and and uh, she's been with you through the thick the thick moments and the thin moments. And um, I think I think it's neat to to see how this whole thing has evolved and and where it's going to be, um, you know, for this year. And my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, is that you know Tim effectively has that stuff back, and he's going to be using that car as a second car at selective races this year with a couple of different people driving it. Yeah, I mean, I haven't really gotten too many details on it. Him and I had a long discussion about it in Vegas, and it sounded like he had, you know, some good use for it. I honestly didn't really have any plans to sell it, um, but I wanted to make sure if he could, you know, he has done so much for me and helped me. I couldn't have done anything that I did last year without his help. Um so I, I just realized it was probably the right thing to do. And, you know, it, it worked out for both of us. And, um, you know, I still have, I, I bought another rig now since then yeah. that we'll use as a hospitality piece and to carry spare parts and bodies and stuff like that, that, uh, we'll need for, you know, Pronto and other sponsor events that we're putting on throughout the year. And, um, excited about that and excited about everything going forward. Like I said, they have a great team over there with Mark Denner and Dave Leahy in the fold and Johnny Davis and everyone just who was over there is, well, they just teach me. They taught me a lot, even when I didn't work there, you know, I'd had Dave coming over and showing me how to wire the whole <laughs> electromotion deal. And he would teach me everything about how to, you know, push this button 17 times and then you'll get into your uh, schematics of the whole system and all that. And it was mind boggling how much those guys know, which makes sense because they've been doing it forever. Yeah. What is, if you can, if you can, if you can put your finger on, on one particular thing um, of the 2018 experience or the 2019 experience that was, I want to say the most valuable. What what did you learn about yourself as a person in the role that you had last year? What what did you when you when you ended the year? What were you better at than when you started the year? 
Oh, I just, I learned about just the, the trials and tribulations of wanting to do this for a living, basically. I never really have, like, jumped that far into something like that, and it's one thing to run another business or have other business interests that are not a fuel car going 330 <laughs> miles an hour, so... It was just, it was pretty gnarly, but like I said, I had so much support from different people and, you know, I could have kept doing it and I would have been excited to keep doing it. Yeah, right. I mean, that was obviously still on the table to keep doing it, but, um, it just, at this place in time, you know, this, this will allow me to, I, to kind of get to where I was going to be working to get to for years and, yeah. uh, I'm there right now. Yeah. And, and what, what makes it unique and interesting and exciting, I guess, from my perspective, and I think from a fan perspective is that oftentimes I think when we see, when we see a Blake Alexander and a Jim head, just using the two names, when we see a situation like this where people kind of merge that merge together, it's being done out of, not out of a, a place of strength, but it's oftentimes being done out of a, a place of mutual weakness that it's, Oh God, we gotta, we gotta do something to keep the ship afloat. And that was neither that was not the situation for Jim and it wasn't the situation for you. So I think ultimately what we're seeing here is like strength to strength. I know that, you know, I know that you pride yourself and have proven yourself to be very strong on the business side, on the, on the fundraising side, on the sponsorship side. And of course, Jim prides himself on his ability to run the race car. And, you know, he has his own, you know, massive business that he runs outside of drag racing. So it is the excitement level for me is that it's a strength to strength matchup. It seems. Yeah, no, it definitely, I don't think it would have come together had that not been the case that there was, you know, some, someone with their hand out begging for something. It may not have been as appealing to him or me. And uh, it certainly wasn't the case at all. And <laughs> we kind of left it at, you know, maybe in, after I drove his car, maybe not this year, next year, five years from now, <laughs> we should work together and uh, drink a beer and walked away. And uh, that was really it. And then uh, it kind of, when I talked to him about it later in the year and kind of told him what I had going on, uh, he flew down here and talking, you know, he was down here in like 45 minutes and we went out to lunch and kind of just became a, more of a reality at that point that we, we would be stronger together. And ultimately when we spoke with, you know, my sponsors and uh, all got together, we all just realized there's more opportunity for us. Hey, just racing more in general is yeah. a great thing for me. I've never really gotten to run as many races I'll get to run this year. And, uh, trying to be one of the drivers out there that's, you know, top five in reaction time. I don't know. In funny car, it's kind of not exactly a telling sign if you're top five in reaction time, but I know what I, I have goals for this year. Yeah. Well, I think I want to hit this. Yeah. I think it without is without deep staging. Oh, exactly. So <laughs> it is. And you know, one of the things we started to qualify at the end of last year, we're going to do a lot better job of qualifying this year, especially in funny cars, you know, relationship of 60 foot time and reaction time to kind of really define who's, who's uh who's who's doing it not i want to say honestly because you know whatever you, you can race however you yeah. want to race but you know what are the what's the real number who what who is actually to me you know we can have this discussion here to me matt hagan and robert height are two of just the deadliest guys out there because matt hagan is i mean I, i've been going through doing some um you know kind of numbers breakdown to prepare myself for next year and you look at some of matt hagan's races where he varies like three thousandths over the course of a day it's insane, mm -hmm. you know, and, and yeah, height, and his car can do it way. too. So yeah, yeah. Height, height always, I actually talked to him about it last year, just about how <laughs> I want a shallow stage every time and have a good light. And it's actually kind of difficult to do because if you miss it by a little bit, then you look like, you know, you missed it by a lot. <laughs> right. Whereas if you, 
if you roll it in there and stage with the headers, no one on TV really knows the difference. <laughs> and despite your guys' best efforts to exactly. keep everyone informed, it, uh, it, it, it's, you know, not something I really care about though, especially when I own the car, you want the car to go as fast as you possibly could. And, right. you know, it, it wouldn't be fair to Danny or Tim or anyone who's got their hands on it to, to poke it in there like that. And, um, you know, it was it, it was definitely eye opening getting back in a you know I, I got in a funny car last year at Phoenix. I hadn't driven one in like three or four years, and it was eye opening just from that perspective. The whole it just brings so much back into driving where a you know you could hit anything at any time. Whereas I don't you don't really see anyone in top field go out and hit the wall. I don't think anyone's even hit the wall in top field in a really long time. But um, you know, there's it just. It, it, it's a lot more responsibility when you're hitting the gas with your right foot that there's a period in time where you might have to let off and you're still going to end up going 275 or 280 <laughs> miles an hour and be barely brushing the wall. So it is a, uh, yeah. it's, it's an interesting business. Uh, one last question before we go, you'd mentioned you're going to race more than you have. Uh, what is the tentative plan this year? What is, or if it's, if it's a solid plan, what, how many races where and which ones are you planning on maybe laying off? Uh, basically we're not going to run the first race of the year. We're not going to, and then we're not going to go to Gainesville Jim's going to New Zealand and I'm going to go to Europe. And then, uh, we're going to kind of hit it hard after that and pick up with a bunch of our pronto events during the summer. And then Jim has a bunch that he's been going to for a long time. And, uh, his guys have always competed at those and we're looking forward to kind of doing that, uh, more towards the end of the year, the countdown. And, uh, but yeah, we're going to miss, uh, I think like four events throughout the year and, uh, are just looking forward to getting out there and slowly making progress at testing and then keep making progress at Phoenix. And these guys, you know, I'm once again, just trying not to be the weak link and, uh, try to be a strong point on the weekends that we have opportunities to win races. No, it's great, man. It's uh, To me, it's a great story. It's an exciting story. Uh, Alexis DeJoria returning to the class, also a great story and funny car this year. And, again, we'll uh, we'll be watching it all play out, see if anybody can upend Robert Hyde after the year he had. So, man, I appreciate you taking the time. I am uh, excited on behalf of both you and Jim, and I look forward to seeing the uh, fruits of your labor starting in Phoenix. Yeah, sounds good. We'll be down there, and uh, I'm getting excited to make some noise again. Thanks, Blake. All right. And so that brings us to the end of our first podcast of the 2020 season. Looking forward to uh, bringing you some fun stuff over the the remaining couple of weeks of winter before we get ready to rock and roll with the rest of the race season and get things cranked up officially with the test and then into Pomona, California for the Winter Nationals where the big 50th anniversary of the Pro Stock category will kick off and it's going to carry all year long. I know we have some special stuff planned on the TV show, some special stuff planned uh, at events over the course of the year, including a bunch of nostalgia Pro Stock appearances over the course of the 2020 season. So we'll get into the Pro Stock situation next week and a bunch of other fun stuff. Hopefully between now and then we'll see some of the news come out that we all know is coming, waiting on official announcements. In the meantime, thanks for listening. Kick the uh, word around that the podcast is back and we'll be back on the regular basis for the 2020 season. Looking forward to making many more of these and getting you in touch with the inside stories of the NHRA Mellow Yellow Drag Racing Series Tour. Stick around. We'll be back next week with more podcastular fun.